Holy God, may all that we do and say in this day be well and good in your sight. Amen. So in all reality, it's really not a pretty story, is it? This story of Noah. It's perhaps one of the most beloved children's stories in the Bible, but one should be compelled to ask why. Why is the story that is filled with God's anger, utter death, destruction, and ruin so hailed by children's ministries worldwide? Think about this for a moment. Can you recall ever being in the Sunday school wing of any church and not see something in regards to Noah's Ark? I grew up in a church whose entire hallway was a giant mural of the story. Even half of our Sunday school wing, right here downstairs at Rosedale, has painted on its walls a parade of animals all heading into the Ark. It's also a popular subject for decorating home nurseries. You got the cute little boat filled with the giraffes and the elephants and the monkeys. You got, then you got the bright, smiling faces of Noah and Mrs. Noah, we are never told the name, at the center of it all. And it looks like they are on a holiday on a cruise ship, peacefully floating through the water with their menagerie, when one would have to wonder if the reality of the situation in the water around them was more like the aftermath. I do have to give some props to the children's Bible that I grew up with, even though they depict Jesus as blonde-haired and blue-eyed. They did have a pretty dark drawing of a flood with animals and man alike struggling in the dark, raging, rising floodwaters. Even the short animated video we just watched, though it made us laugh, still had its dark side, but it is the truth of the matter. Though we did read that portion of the story from Scripture this morning, it's very possible that you are familiar with its beginnings. We know that the inhabitants of the earth had become wicked and sinful, and God began to regret having created mankind at all. Yet, there was this bright light of Noah, a man who walked with God, as the verse says. So God decides he wants to cleanse the earth of all things bad and evil, yet he's not quite ready to be completely done with his creation. Thus, he employs the faithfulness of Noah and sets forth his plan to flood the earth, effectively killing all living things and all other than those things on the boat that he commanded Noah to build. In chapter 6 of Genesis, you can go back and read all the details that God gave Noah for the construction of the ark. Dimensions, specifications, materials required. God is a regular old Ikea. By the way, the specifications for building the ark as laid out by God to Noah and found in every Bible on the planet are still used in nautical engineering to this day. Ponder that. So let's consider a few things about Noah, perhaps some details about his character that aren't talked about all that much in the midst of building a boat and collecting animals two by two. It's quite possible the word eccentric comes to mind. After all, the man's building a boat in his backyard on dry land with no body of water in sight. Perhaps 
his wife and family, not to mention a boatload of animals, and not just 40 days and 40 nights, but for a year and 11 days. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but it wasn't until one year and 11 days later was the earth totally dry and God summoned everyone off the earth. The scripture also notes that Noah was righteous and blameless, a faithful man among the people of his time. And he had to be faithful, don't you think? Because he trusted God to the point of pouring all of his time and energy into a project that made no sense in the moment. And one would have to believe that he was laughed at and mocked by the people around him. Noah's character was strong enough to endure such ridicule, derision, and possible public embarrassment. Yet, Noah was willing to wager his reputation, his wealth, and all that he had on an understanding. And understanding that it was easier to listen to what God says rather than to not listen at all. Noah was a righteous man living in an unrighteous time, yet he was able to make good choices instead of succumbing to the wicked ideas of his day. It is always hard to be righteous and countercultural. It is as difficult now as it was then to choose God and to stick with God no matter what. Noah was a persistent man. Mrs. Noah might have called him stubborn. How much work does it take to build a huge ark without power tools or a lumber mill when you are 600 years young? How many years? How much effort? How much wealth did it take to build that thing? It is obvious Noah was persistent. He didn't give up. He stuck to it. He never quit. Again, Noah was a man who walked with God. He knew the companionship and the fellowship of God. And when you have that in your life, you can put up with just about anything else. All of these characteristics set up Noah to be able to endure the in-between. The time from when God shut the door of the earth until that moment that he set his rainbow in the sky. Noah's faithfulness and trust must have gotten him through those days of asking the question of, now what? Especially as the rains continued and not a sliver of dry land was in sight. As for God, what sort of God commissions the building of a boat in anticipation of a flood that will destroy, but for Noah and his family, the entire human race? And oftentimes, this is the God that we most struggle with, and rightly so. But here are the things that we need most to remember when we struggle with the parts of God's nature that we find less appealing. Bottom line, God is righteous and God is just. One who hates sin and unrighteousness. God is merciful. One who extends mercy for those who live by faith. God is faithful. One who stands by his promises. God is personal. One who seeks the fellowship and companionship of his people. 
So with this in mind, this is the God who we can trust to close doors when they need closing. I've always loved this one small detail in this very long narrative of Noah, that God was the one who shut the door of the ark. And I love the literal and metaphorical nature of this. God literally shut the door on humanity's past, tucked a righteous man and his family and a remnant of his creation safely on the other side, and began the work of recreation. Though it was ugly, it was just. Though it was devastating, it was necessary. And upon shutting the door to the past, Noah was thrust into the midst of the in-between, and so was God. The past, filled with violence and corruption, was being effectively washed away. Yet that period of cleansing needed to take some time, while the earth was flooded with cleansing rain, and then even more time for the waters to recede and bring about a new earth and rebirth. Again, it's not a pretty story. Is it? But the reality of life is not always pretty either, and who among us doesn't know that truth? Oftentimes we have to acknowledge the junk of the past in order to allow the future to avail itself of its blessings. And in all stories of redemption, the outcome is always more beautiful than one could have ever anticipated. But there are always those gap moments, those times when the reality of the past is behind us, yet we can do nothing more than to sit in the boat while the rains come and trust that God is doing his work and bide our time until God finds it fit to call us forth into the new day that he has prepared. And we can get impatient, can't we? Human nature doesn't like to wait. Our anticipation for what's to come can often force us into bad choices or wrong decisions simply because we wanted to get to the other side on our own merits, our own ideals, instead of waiting on God and trusting in his process and his timing and his sovereignty. Noah seemed to exercise some incredible even though I did not read this portion of the scripture, the verses just before what I read said this. At the end of 150 days of flooding, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month when the tops of the mountains became visible. So it sounds to me like the ark has run aground. Dry land can be seen, yet Noah remains in the boat. If it was me, I think I'd be abandoning ship as soon as humanly possible. Yet it wasn't for another 40 days after this that Noah sent out a raven to check things out with no luck. Then he sent out a dove again with no luck. Apparently, the earth was not yet ready to receive life. Yet, I'm still thinking if there was dry ground to be had, my feet would be on it. Yet for Noah, 
It wasn't another seven days before he sent out the dove again, in which it returned with an olive branch, clearly a sign of life. And yet again, he waited seven more days before sending the dove out one last time, which the dove did not return. What we can surmise from this is that God was still in the process of preparing the earth for this new era. Though from our human perspective, it looked and sounded like there was dry ground to be found and vegetation was sprouting, yet Noah still remained where he was, trusting in God to give the final word for his next steps. One of my current students from ETS, J.T. Thomas, preached on this same passage a few weeks ago, and he used the illustration of baking a cake. There is a process to baking a cake in chemistry in order to achieve the desired end product. All the ingredients need to be precise. Your pan needs to be prepared, and the oven set to a certain temperature. And there comes a time in the baking process when it appears that the cake is done. It smells amazing, and it looks perfectly golden brown. Yet any baker knows, just because it looks good on the outside does not mean it's ready on the inside. So what do you have to do? Stick it. Poke a hole in it. Yes. You gotta poke it, perhaps with a toothpick or a knife, and make sure they come out of the cake clean. If not, you've got to keep the cake in the oven until the inside is just as ready as the outside. And oftentimes that can be a precarious dance of getting the inside baked properly while not burning the outside. One has to remain vigilant and trust the process of baking that the whole cake, with its proper ingredients and preparation, will all come together at the right time. Noah was methodical in his trust of God, and his use of the birds was like poking a cake to see if it was truly red. Trust is a process to all things in God's plan. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust the process. Trust God. Because oftentimes, if we look at the world with our own, of our own, and our own personal situations, with our own understanding, it will leave us confused and out of sorts. But if we believe God has his hand in everything, and that he has a plan for our situation, then the path of our lives will become much more clear. The chasm from the already to the not yet will not seem as deep and wide. Because God's got us, each and every one of us, and he will make our paths straight if we trust him and lean into him. God closes doors and closes them for a reason. And always it is for our protection from the rising floodwaters and driving winds and rain. God closes the door. And while we wait for the door to reopen and to be called forth into a new day, we must simply trust these moments of the in-between 
Trust that we are in the gap for a reason. But we will not be there forever. Because God puts a rainbow in the sky and he has made a promise. And his word is sure and true. Like David Bowden said in his spoken word poem, yes, the Christian life is a life of absence. So much in between. So much that has already happened, yet we are still waiting for more to come. Yet that should also bring us joy and a profound sense of peace. Because in our belief as Christians, the already was the birth of the Messiah and our gaining salvation through his death and resurrection. And the not yet is the waiting for Christ's return when he shall redeem all of creation to himself. And that, my friends, will indeed be a joyous wonderful day. Here is the good news. God is up to something. Trust in that. God is up to something even now as we are in this gap place. The place of the already, but the not yet. And he has plans. God is working in preparing us as individuals, us as a congregation, indeed the whole of his creation for something spectacular and beyond our comprehension, because he has done it before. And I'd like to close by revisiting some of David Bowden's poem, because these words are worth hearing again. We trust in promises that have all been won, but wait for their fulfillment when all completion is done. Our story is begun, but not finished. Our new selves we have become, but not yet to the fullest. Our victory is inaugurated, but not finally set. So we are the believers of the already and the not yet. There is so much we already hold, but it's the not yet that we seek. For before we met Christ, we happily saw ourselves as Earth's inhabitants. But now we know we are not yet home. So the Christian life is a life of absence. Because all this space between us and God is not arbitrary or random. Instead, God uses these chasms to point us to the second Adam. For if God had never been absent, we never would have known Christ or his cross. So though our separation feels like the highest cost, not knowing Jesus' sacrifice, would be the only real loss. So now we get to know God as he first planned, as he truly wants, a God who would not abandon his creation, but would save them through sacrificial action. So praise be to our God who knew that distance would best reveal his glory before it even happened. Praise be to our God that the Christian life is a life of absence. And I say, praise be to our God who closes doors, who purposely places us in the gap, and then brings us about to his new day and promises fulfilled. Trust in God's process, my friends, and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways. Submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Hallelujah.